0: Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor
1: of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. So, Jimmy, is it unethical? Mm.
0: You're in the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through. Mm-hmm. All right, you're in the drive-through. Yep, or McDonald's or wherever. Wherever, yeah. Right. So you're in the Dunkin' Donuts drive, and it's a long line. Okay, but it's not too long. You're like, oh, that's fine. I'll, I'll do it. Like, so yeah, This is yeah, yeah. five cars. So you get up, and you're like, yeah, man, I would like, uh, you know, iced coffee, mm-hmm. four creams, whatever, whatever you do. How many? How many creams do you put in? Four. And a large. That's uh, four there. Four creams. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a large. Uh, if I okay. wanted coffee, I'd go get good coffee somewhere. I'm getting a Dunkin' Donut sized coffee, so I want it to taste like a milkshake.
1: All right. Yeah. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. we well, go got ahead. two in
0: there? No, one. Yeah. Well, that's a medium.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even if it's a large, I always just do one cream, mm. one sugar.
0: Yeah. I do do no sugar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I only just do one <laughs> sugar.
0: Raw. Jeez, whatever. Mm. So is it unethical? You're, you're ah, in there, no. you, you place your order. And the line doesn't move, line doesn't move, line doesn't move. Mm. And it, you finally move up one, and the line doesn't move. And it's taking like 10 minutes. 10 minutes? 10 minutes. Or maybe just five, maybe at the five minute mark. And you're like, it's not moving. Something's going mm-hmm. on. And they're not moving people ahead to go, hey, go park up there and we'll bring you your big orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it unethical to be like, I don't have time, I gotta go? Not because you're being a baby, but because you're like, no, I don't have time. I actually do have to leave. So you yeah. just, is it unethical to leave the line after you placed your order? So they're making
1: it. Is it unethical to leave? I think five minutes is pretty short, dude. I'm at. Well, I'm asking. Yeah. Don't, don't dude me. Dude. Do not dude me. I said
0: ten minutes, and then you're like ten minutes, and I'm like, well, just five. maybe just starting at five. I'm just saying, where is the line? Is it ever appropriate to mm-hmm. leave the line after you've placed your order?
1: No, no. I've thought long and hard. Okay, good. I mm-hmm. I have globally been around. Oh, so you you've discussed this globally. I've discussed this globally. Okay. And at the for me, it's seven minutes three seconds. Seven three. Seven o oh, three.
0: Seven o oh, three. Okay.
1: Bye. See, but that's
0: arbitrary
1: in that like I'm saying
0: it's it's I've got an appointment and I'm not going to be late, and so but what
1: what made you think going through this line would be less than five minutes you, because you 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 have been, set apart that five minutes is the mark no I didn't he did you went ten then went five no I just I, I, I said I said the,
0: but I said the point was I said ten I said so you've been there that long or maybe it's, you're just at the five minute mark but my point was like I've got somewhere to be mm-hmm. so I've been going through drive-throughs you know since the eighties. Since I've the been 80s. doing it a long time. Long time. Lots of lots of experience. I know globally? What, uh yes, as a matter of oh, fact. Okay. Yeah. And I so I know what to expect and what's normal or common. Mm-hmm. And so I like, oh, I can make it through this. I gotta go. Like, okay, Sunday. I can't be past a certain time. I gotta get mic'd oh, up and everything. Of course. Right, okay. Yeah. So I I stop at Duncan. Yep. Nope, nope, nope. Nothing's happening. Nothing's mm. happening. I just I got I got a book. Is it unethical to leave when uh when you believe you've done, uh, you were fair and like, oh, there's enough time. They should be able to do this. They can't do it. Isn't it unethical to leave? You, you said it's not as long as it's seven minutes, three seconds. Seven minutes, that's, three that's, seconds. So it's not about whether or not you have an appointment. They, you're saying they have failed the drive through customers and now you can leave. Correct. Okay. 703. oh I'm going to put a timer in my car. Yeah. And every time I'm going to hit you're gonna that, go 703. Then 703. <laughs> we'll to see what happens. It's funny because I know it'll be like three minutes. And I'm like, oh, time's up. I'm sure. Oh, it's only been three minutes. <laughs> you're gonna learn like seven. Yeah, you're gonna learn that you're. Uh, but I'm never listen. I I don't leave just because it feels like it's been too long. I only leave for like I don't have time. I'm going to be late now, so I gotta go. Yeah,
1: yeah and it doesn't. It's only happened a few times, but hmm. apparently it happened recently.
0: Uh, it did happen. I think uh, a week and a week ago, and yeah. it
1: was a big order, wasn't it? You 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 place like no
0: five the coffee
1: five drinks no. Ten sandwiches. No, and then you just left it behind. No, I, every once in a while, do, well, I, I will get a bag of bacon though. The bag of bacon? <laughs> yeah, they do a bag of bacon. You can buy a bag of bacon. <laughs> all right, Jimmy, okay. do you didn't know this? No, you gotta look at the menu. No, I, I, I get one thing there. Yeah, I, well, so so do I. And
0: this is what I saw bag I, I, bag of bacon, bag like, bacon. You're like, huh? Call it, I think they call it snack and bacon. Oh,
1: okay. And I was okay. like, all we right, we'll right. do that. You That's know? not bad. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, listen, we got a long episode, so we should probably oh. do less talking.
1: All right, let's do that let's
0: because. Do that. uh uh, we're, we have we're, we're getting some interviews in. We're starting to talk to some guys and bring them on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of talk on the Twitter about uh, classical theism and Thomas Aquinas. Ooh. Been a lot of there's been articles written. There's been podcasts made. There's been tweets tweeted. Sure, posted. Yeah, um, and so you know, and you know what it's about: the theology proper, the Trinity, Christology, stuff like that. And Thomas Aquinas keeps coming up. Um, and some people like Owen Strahan and uh, James White, like they just they're not down with Aquinas okay. and their, their beef is that well, he's, he's, you know, he's Catholic and he's, he's got a lot of bad doctrine because he's Catholic, you know, and so when it comes to, you know, uh, justification, faith works, uh, you know, all that stuff, they uh, they have appropriate beefs. And so they don't think people, apparently, from what I've seen, my limited interaction, they're not really down with people referencing or using, I should say using, and even encouraging people to read Thomas Aquinas. Hmm. Um, and there's been, I think there's been some misrepresentation or at least misunderstanding on some of this. And I wanted to talk to somebody. Get him on the podcast. That's involved and mm. really smart. And for, here I am. Yeah. here I am. Well, you weren't so, available at the time, so what? we talked to somebody else. Uh, uh, who, so, who did you
1: get that was smarter well, and globally known and globally well, traveled? Okay,
0: well, f- first of all, um, I didn't say he was smarter than you. Uh, I, well, he's, he's definitely shorter than you. Well, he's definitely. De-
1: well, and he's definitely smarter. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: mean, <laughs> he is. He is. He is very. He is very smart. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got uh, Richard Barcelos on the Blower mm. uh, to talk about this stuff. Um, he's engaged in all of this, he writes on it. Um, uh, now, Jimmy, tell people who Richard Barcellus is in case mm. they don't know. Yeah, uh, he is, and don't pe- make fun of his height. You, you don't. I, he's I, very th- sensitive. He's, I mean, oh, he is a delicate What is flower. with you? What are you he doing? Is, I mean, what are you oh, doing? You think Owen is, is sensitive about his tiny hands? Richard Barcellus,
1: why are you doing what? This? I'm stop. just saying, he's you know, a small guy. Stop. So, but, uh, Pastor Barcelos is pastor of Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Palmdale, California. Must be nice. Must be nice. And he's the associate professor of exegetical theology at IRBS Theological Seminary. Yeah,
0: man. Now listen, um I if if you know Richard, you know, first of all he's taller than me like everybody, so um I'm allowed to make fun of him being short. Mm. Uh but no, he's not sensitive. He's uh he's so fun. He's one of those guys like he's funny. And he is he's funny online, he's mm. funny in person. Uh he's real serious about the serious stuff. And he's chill about the stuff yeah, you can be chill about.
1: That's right. That's good. Love I love it. that.
0: So hope you guys like this. Uh, it's a long one. So uh, buckle up. Get comfortable. we got about an hour of conversation with Richard Barcelos. Check it out. Today, I have the opportunity to sit down with Richard Barcelos. Richard is a pastor of Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Palmdale, California. He is the associate professor of exegetical theology at IRBS Theological Seminary and the author of a ton of great books like Getting the Garden Right, Adam's Work and God's Rest in Light of Christ. There are some really good endorsements for that one. I mean, people should check out the endorsements because I think <laughs> there are some, there's some, I mean, some. Well, one of those endorsements are almost as good as the book, in my opinion. But anyway, um, okay. also, The Lord's Supper as a Means of Grace, More Than a Memory, Every Baptist. Is, that's required reading if you're going to be a Baptist, for sure. Um, Trinity and Creation, a scriptural and confessional account, very relevant here today. Uh, Richard, thanks for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks for having me. Been looking forward to it.
0: Been wanting to get you on forever and uh, so excited. And uh, one of the things that I have always appreciated about you and um, all of our interactions and the interactions that I see uh, w- between you and others online. One, I appreciate like beyond your writing. Your, I think your writing is incredible. Um, I, I love that you are serious where it matters and you are relaxed and funny where there's freedom like you're not you're not one of those guys who is wound super tight and just can't breathe and enjoy the life that God has given you. I, I I love that about you,
2: yeah, I think sometimes, uh because of the limitations of the internet, that gets me in trouble, people think I'm being being nasty instead of just trying to say, "Hey, let's lighten up. it's Twitter." You yeah, know?
0: That, exactly. and here, but I will say this: there is one thing that you do on Twitter that nobody likes. Hmm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when I started. I started following. Him and I'm like, what's he mean by that? Is This good or bad? I don't know what to do with this. I'm confused, and it I'm looking at the context. And I'm like, oh, okay, no, he. I, I think he. I think he <laughs> likes it, but then. I, yeah, man, that's. Uh, I love that. I love that. I think. I think it. I think it annoys enough people that. I think you know <laughs> that, and I think that uh, that helps you continue to do it.
2: I <laughs> I grew up with three brothers on a farm. <laughs> Life was tough, so this is my, my payback to somebody.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, look, um, you know, Twitter is definitely um, a very weird place. And when it comes to how Christians use Twitter, there's like a bunch of different conversations going on at any given time, depending on the tribes that you're a part of, um, you know, the schools that you've gone to or whatever. And sometimes they get really heated. And lately, there has been a lot of talk about some guy named uh, Thomas Aquinas, not a... Uh, Marvel superhero Thomas Aquinas uh, classical theism theology proper the Trinity like this is this is not just like hot topic hot take kind of stuff this is weighty serious theology that people are discussing debating ranting raging getting hurt hurt feelings over there's a lot going on uh, in all of this and I've I've seen a number of people kind of step into it lightly to go I don't understand what we're talking about here or who's Who's Thomas Aquinas and what is Thomism, and why isn't it called Aquinasism? Like people have questions uh-huh. like they're like what what is going on?" So I thought maybe we could just start with this. Can you explain uh you know just as simply as you can in whatever order you choose, who is Thomas Aquinas, and what is this conversation and controversy essentially about?
2: Well, first of all, I am no Aquinas or Aquininian scholar. <laughs> However they say it uh, whatsoever, I've read more out of, co- of Thomas's commentaries on Scripture than I mm-hmm. have on his Summa. Yeah. So there's just putting my cards on the table. But uh, it, the issue is not uh, Thomas Aquinas. For me, as a confessional mm-hmm. second London uh, confessional Baptist, it's about what I confess, so it's about confessional theism. What does the Second London mean or entail by the terms it uses? Now, if we go back to the early 1990s, uh, actually late 1980s, I was working while I was in seminary at the Master Seminary. I was working at it used to be called the Grace Bookshack. Mm. and I saw these this this hardback volume. It was called Dictionary of Latin and Greek Theological Terms by Richard Muller. Now, at the time, I believe Dr. Muller was was teaching at fuller
0: okay
2: so fuller and masters at the time weren't you know they didn't go golfing on right or anything (laughs) very different schools so people warned me about the book and it just sat there uh i think it was 1987 or eight, and i said you know what i'm gonna get it so i bought it i didn't use it until i got out of seminary in 1990 but i also read another book by Mueller. i think it was his dissertation on Christ and predestination or something like that. It's gone through at least a second uh, edition. I I read it in the early 90s, way over my head. Okay, And then I started using that dictionary more and more and more. And then I also bought around the same time, or maybe the early 90s, the first two two volumes of post-Reformation reform dogmatics actually came out in a weird Baker type set in the late 80s or early 90s look like somebody's, you know, homemade typewriter. Right. And and uh, I'm not sure how much I read of those, but I thought to myself, this, this seems important. Now if you fast forward, you know, by the time you get to uh I don't know, was it late nineties or early two thousands, the post Reformation Reform Dogmatics four volumes came out. This is all related hopefully to your question. Right, right. At, at least from an academic and a pastoral Side of the things. So what started to happen was this: this Mueller guy and others, Carl Truman, uh, Scott Clark at Westminster Seminary, or sure. later, uh, and, and there are others. They started going ad fonts, going to the primary source documents mm-hmm. of the seventeenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth century, and they, I think, sufficiently debunked what I was taught: the Calvin versus the Calvinists. School, you know, Calvin was more biblical, Christ-centered, and the other uh, guys—I don't know what happened to them. They—they took a philosophy course in undergrad, and (laughs) they brought it into their theology, and they got all scholastic. Well, that's what I was—I was taught that, uh, and it just was, you know, part of the uh, the uh, culture of the day when I when I was in seminary in 1986 to 89. But, But then I started reading some of these guys, and I started to realize. You know, our heroes, um, you know, like John Owen, and I didn't put Nehemiah Cox in there as far as a particular Baptist goes. They use technical terms a lot. Uh, What do these terms mean? And so that's where Mueller's Dictionary comes in, Mm -hmm. because we don't have the right to tell the old guys what their terms mean to us. Well, we can do that if you want, but you won't understand what they're saying. Yeah, so I started using the dictionary more and started, you know, once the, the hardbacks of the post-Reformation reform dogmatics stuff started to come out, I, I started doing that. And then late 90s, I got into a, 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 I took some post-grad courses and it involved a lot of reading primary sources, 16th, 17th century. And then I honed in on for my dissertation finally on an issue of, uh, hermeneutics and, and, and biblical theology—the interpretation of redemptive history—and I studied John Owen's uh, anachronistically titled biblical theology and mm-hmm. compared it with Gerhardus losses. Right, and I so I tried to see continuity and discontinuity between the two. And there's both. There's a lot of continuity, and so that got me into 17th century Owen, um, people around him, hermeneutics, covenant theology, and I at some point I came. Came to the conclusion, that you know, I'm reading in the 17th century. They did things way different back then. And then if, if you think about the confessional document itself, the Second London, that's a 17th century document. If I'm going to understand it. I need to get into the, right. the thought world mm-hmm. uh, as much as I can uh, in order to understand it. And so that was, that was my beginning with late 90s, reading primary documents and stumbling over some of the, the Mueller school I realized, you know, even my view of the Trinity, the incarnation of our Lord, certainly in passability and simplicity, I didn't have, uh, I didn't understand the terms, first of all. I, I didn't have the concepts embodied in the terms that were used back then. I had my own concepts sure. imposed upon, upon the old terms, and it, it made mincemeat of the confession and and i didn't know the well i was trying to grope for what's the way out and and at some point my my advisor was mike Renahan, dr jim Renahan's brother hmm. and mike said richard once you get into the 17th century documents you realize that the way forward's the way back hmm. and you know at some point after he told me that like 1997 but it took me a few years to get through my numskull you know i thought the way forward's the way back oh the Enlightenment happened. Yeah. That messed up everything. Mm. That that changed the way we do, do hermeneutics. Yeah. And so th- that's kind of my pilgrimage. So I, I don't think it's Thomas Aquinas. Uh, do I appreciate Aquinas? Yeah. Do my heroes appreciate Aquinas? Yeah. Do my 17th century heroes? Do they agree with everything Aquinas ever wrote? <laughs> No, I bet you can find Aquinas disagreeing with Aquinas. I found John <laughs> Owen disagreeing with John Owen. You know, when you write that many words <laughs> yes. uh, over a long period of time, you change your view on certain sure, things. Of course, yeah. I never, I never, I never change. Well, you don't. View. If I'm you get it right, right, you don't
0: have to. Yeah, yeah,
2: We're you know we're about the same height. So we're, <laughs>
0: Close. You're taller. We get
2: it. We get it, We get it right uh, first time all the time. Well, that that's another thing I came to. I wasn't right about everything. I I thought I knew more than I did and uh, it was a painful but good transition for me. It's, you know, it's been 20 years, so that by the time 2005 or six comes along, I was on a discussion list, you can cut me off any you want, I was on a discussion list on the internet, and somebody was, was posting stuff that I knew was odd on impassibility mm. and immutability um, and interpreting the divine name Yahweh, and then you know, the I am statement as well. And I thought, this is, this just doesn't sound right. So I started reading John Owen, and I'm going, well, John Owen wouldn't say this. And so I would come along in my historical theological studies enough to conclude, this is not confessional. Mm. You know, and then if you, if you fast forward that by eight years, it became what, you know, the impassibility yeah. controversy with the Ardka churches. Mm-hmm. But it was brewing a long time before that. And right. my... My pilgrimage started, you know, started way back in bits and pieces and then really escalated when I just, I read the old guys and I said, either I agree substantially or, or I disagree. And I had to wrestle with what I'm confessing here. Am I confessing what what the confession means in its historical and theological context, or am I using it more like a wax nose mm-hmm. and imposing imposing my own meanings or my, you know, my current tribe's meaning back on the confession. Right. But I, I, I wrestled through all those things. So that's why I say, I don't think the issue is Thomas Aquinas. Said. I think the issue is, at least for me as a as a confessional, Second London confessional Baptist, it's, what do I confess?
0: And we're talking about, you know, what do we confess about theology proper? We're talking about, you know, classical theism. Which, which is- which is pretty important, huh? A, l- a little bit. By the way, um, I, you're talking about how to interpret the uh, the Second London Confession. Um, how excited are you for Baptist Symbolics Volume Two, Jim Renahan's, uh book that's dropping?
2: Yeah, I I've read portions of it, of course. Or of course, I had to correct Dr. Renahan several times. Oh, well, yeah, that's that. That's, yeah. It
0: bow ties too tight. Sometimes you gotta
2: yeah, yeah, loosen yeah, it up. I think it's. I think you know. I, I view Jim. Of course, I love Jim. We're really good friends. I esteem him highly for all good reasons. Um, fewer, there are fewer finer men on the earth. You know, you've spent time with yeah, him. Yeah, love him. It's, it's yeah, when I got to know that Jim and you were friends, I'm going. Those guys are like totally opposite <laughs> in many ways.
0: He, but he's so but, gracious, so well that's Jim. Kind, he's just he he just rolls with it. You know, we had yeah. Swifts had so much fun. But,
2: I, I think he's the foremost expert on the se- Second London Confession alive, uh, and that's not to depreciate, you know, Tom Nettles and, oh, yeah. and uh, Michael Haken. Those are great men as well, great Baptist scholars. But Jim is unique because since, since uh, I don't know the early 90s, I guess he's given his life to understanding the confession mm. in, in its historical and theological and philosophical and ecclesiastical context, and has done work nobody's nobody's done. Has read stuff. Um, you know, nobody has at least read and put together and 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 been enabled by um, hard work mm. to make it all make sense. Um, so I'm looking forward to. It. I think it will be very helpful. You know, it's not like uh, it's not like Doctor Waldron's. It's mm-hmm. not like Doctor Fesco's. Yeah, uh, it's going to be unique. And, uh, I just started going I through it,
0: it and uh, it, I think it's epic. I, I I'm I just I'm so I'm so blown away. I think it's going to be such a big help because we can see Reformed Baptist, particular Baptist, confessional Baptist, growing in number. At least it seems that way to me. Um, especially thanks to you know RBAP and people that are. I mean, we have so many good theologians that are putting out amazing Orthodox theology when other denominations aren't um i I see it really growing and this is going to be a great tool for helping people work through uh through the confession so let's get to the heart of this thing so what's driving you in this conversation is you know going back to the confession understanding the confession in its proper context um and and history uh, returning to the sources to understand um the meaning of words but what are what is the controversy that people are are like people are People are throwing barbs at each other. People are getting their feelings hurt. They're like all things are happening. People are whining, uh, crying, unfair. People. So this it seems to revolve around our uh, our understanding of of the, the knowability of God and who is God and how does God operate. Like, how would you sort of summarize what people are actually talking through?
2: Yeah, uh, um, the issue behind the issue. Yeah, yeah. I, I have thought about this and on the you know, on the surface level it's the confession, it's um uh, the classical Christian doctrine of God as embodied by our confession and found, you know, in, in the uh in other documents, not only Reformation, but pre Reformation documents. Mm-hmm. But I think the issue is twofold. It's both um Might be threefold, but I'm just going to say twofold right now. Uh, It's it's an issue of hermeneutics, and it's an issue of the method whereby we construct Christian doctrine. So theological method. And the reason why I I say hermeneutics is because, and I said this before. You know, this is the 17th century. They did they do things different here. That's a quote from a book. I forgot the book. Some guys talk about antiquity. And I don't think we've realized, I know I didn't realize how much enlightenment philosophy had impacted the way I look at documents and try to interpret, in our case, Scripture. For instance, um, I was basically taught that the best way to interpret Scripture is with no assumptions, with no presuppositions. Yeah, that's easy now, enough yeah in the pre-modern world they would
0: say, Get out of here if you're from another universe right we don't talk that way, and those people don't exist uh, but, that can come to a yeah, text without yeah. such things.
2: they didn't until modernism came. right and right. then the the whole Kant thing basically says, you know we would be raping the the will if we allowed prejudgments in the mind uh to 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 to, to to be formulated in order to help interpret something outside the mind. Mm. So we have to dump, we have to have a mind dump kind of thing. So I actually had a friend who used to work at the seminary I I was trained at, uh, who said this, he says, I happen to believe that, um, we can basically live, uh, our lives and interpret scripture without any assumptions. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, at the time I didn't push back very hard because this guy liked to go back and forth and I don't like doing that. Yeah, but but i he's wrong. He's way wrong. Um, that's a modern approach to her, uh, scriptural hermeneutics. Rid ourselves of as many presuppositions as we can and then go to the text, just, you know, me and the text. Now the other...
0: Well, is, like, on, on, that, app- on that point, yeah. let me just ask because... Maybe you could unpack that for people Um, because just a day ago as of recording this, uh, you put up a tweet that said, it is unfeasible to derive any theological concept from scripture without a secondary means apart from scripture. Um, And you and others have said a few similar things and guys like, I mean, Owen Stran is like, what in the what? Absolutely bizarre statement that undercuts sola scriptura. Um, And thankfully we had some people in there step in to say, of of course, this is, this is not a, this should not be controversial, uh, what what Richard said. Um, And I,
2: I, I didn't, I didn't,
0: you were quoting. Yeah, you were quoting. I quoted it. uh, From modern reformation. So, and you said something else uh, along the same lines though, I think on that same day, maybe. But could you explain like why we have to have presuppositions to understand scripture? and how we check them?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Let me keep going with the, okay, the go. pendulum swing yeah, that yeah. happened in the modern era. So you you have, on the one hand, you have the almost the rationalism, uh, no assumptions, come to the scripture text as a tabula rasa, you know, mm. a blank slate, yep. and let the Bible inform you, okay? Then you have the postmodern pendulum swing uh, that says, well, everybody has presuppositions and assumptions, and so we bring them all to the text, and we make the text fit ourselves. Right. So the text, the text is a wax nose. It can mean, you know, that's the Bible study with ten people in it. What does it right. mean to you? We give it meaning. You got ten, you got ten different meanings, and everyone's right. Everyone's good. You know. Well, we don't want to do that either. So, I think the better answer is the, the pre-moderns realize, you know, God has made us to to learn discursively over time and to, to pile up information and to be able to retrieve it when we engage with something outside of ourselves. Uh, for instance, I'm looking at a tree right now. Uh, I didn't, I didn't invent the tree. The tree was over there. I didn't invent the word tree. The word tree is a sign signifying a thing that's really existing out there right. that was tra- traditioned, which is another word for, Handed down to me, right? Yes. So that word tree was handed down to me. You know what else has been handed down to me or tradition to me and to you is the letter A. It is a symbol signifying the first letter in the English alphabet. We bring all that stuff when we read anything and everything. Yes. Um, So the the pre-modern said, no, we we have assumptions. We just got to make sure we have the right one. You know, so so that's where I I think um, this ancient term uh, phrase, the rule of faith, came in. Mm -hmm. You know, the early patristics use it. It might even go back. I think it goes back to Irenaeus. Okay, so this is second century rule of faith, and, and and it's hard to pin down exactly. Did all the patristics define rule of faith the same way? In my studies so far, I'm going. It doesn't look like it but they're trying to get at the same thing. Namely, there are some foundational things that we know uh, that should uh, regulate us when we're interpreting Scripture, and especially for the early Patristics, because they're, de- they're trying to justify Christianity to, to Jews. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, their rule of faith, uh, trying to go on the turf of the Jews, would be God is one. right? You know, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God is one. Uh, however um the New Testament clearly teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is the second person of the Godhead who assumed humanity for us and for our salvation, so they would get a Trinitarian element into their into their um into their rule of faith and they they would also do this what what the Old Testament promises is Jesus and what we call Christianity. Mm. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, look, Chris. Matter of fact, if you read the Apostolic Preaching by Irenaeus, it's basically a sermon like you'd find in the book of Acts. Mm. You know, he's addressing his audience, and then he goes to the Old Testament. Right. Goes to the Old Testament, goes to the Old Testament, and he basically says, this is that. This, Christianity, is that which was promised in the Old Testament. It's like Hebrews. So that was, yeah. So that's a primitive view of the, uh, rule of faith. It, I think it expanded over time, and now you, you know most people would say there are ecumenical creeds that have been uh, forged in the in the in the context of controversy, scrubbed uh, clean of 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 inaccurate statements, of heretical statements, and those can help us. That, that would be a you know the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Those are good creeds to have. At least the contours of it in your mind as you're reading uh scripture it helps you it guides you that doesn't mean it, it's a lord over scripture it's a ministerial tool under uh scripture that right. helps us understand scripture because if if you don't have something like that or you know like we would say the second one, then it, it could be a rule of faithful you don't have something like that you're going to have something right you, okay and so i think what ha what's happened is uh I know in my pilgrimage in hermeneutics is I had a modern notion of hermeneutics. I was just trying to get into the mind of the human author mm-hmm. and de- 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 determine the meaning based on whether or not he would understand it that right. way. And That's what I was taught. I, you know, Yeah, whether you have to get into the mind of the original historically and politically and philosophically and religiously conditioned audience, first audience he was writing to. And, you know, I tell my students, I say, look, they're dead. All we have we have the text. And right. and you know, we have you can use background material to help and stuff like that. But that is a modern question. What would Matthew have believed this? Would yeah. Moses have believed this? You know, like like when you when you use Paul's uh lead in Ephesians five and you conclude well, Romans five, you conclude Adam was a type of Christ, but if you use Ephesians five if you want to be historically Christian, you're going to conclude Eve was a type of the church. Mm -hmm. And so the comeback, the modern comeback to that is, what would Moses have thought, well, he's dead, you know, we really, I think Moses would have aha moments if he could read the entire canon of the Hebrew text and the Greek new Testament. I think he'd say, wow, this is bigger and better than I ever thought. But to pin on Moses, um, the necessity to understand everything that the entirety of scripture ends up teaching us. That's unfair to Moses. And it's a very modern move. Yeah. I think we have that going on. I had a way we
0: I had a professor, um, Robert Stein, uh, synoptic scholar. And I think I read every one of his books. Um, most of them before I even had him as a professor. Um, and, but he, he, he made, he made it a point, uh, with his, with us to say like, you, you can't, you can't get into the mental acts of the author. Like you, you're not going to get into his brain and know yeah. all that he's trying. Like what his intent was, you can only you can determine based on what he says and context and history. But you can't get into his brain. You have to deal with the text as it relates to the rest of the canon. Now he was making he was making a similar point uh, to what you're making.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, G.K. Beale has this statement he makes about. The peripheral cognitive peripheral vision of the authors, it was broader than just what they wrote. Yeah, yeah, they knew more than what they wrote. And then when you when you consider like a New Testament author, um, either quoting, citing an Old Testament text or alluding to it, their cognitive peripheral vision of what that text meant in its context was broader than just the text itself oh, as yeah. well. Clearly, They're... they didn't read the. They're they abusing the scripture.
0: Bible. They're abusing scripture based on modern hermeneutic principles.
2: Well, well, yeah. Well, that's that's the that's what I was kind of taught. <laughs> um, ha- happily, the master seminary doesn't teach the same theory of the New Testament use of the Old that when when I got it, they they, they teach a lot better theory now. But but uh, you know, those are some of the difficulties. You now, I was I was mentioning both hermeneutics and the method whereby we construct Christian doctrine. Um, If we're, we're going to use a rule. Okay. Yeah. It's either, it's either a well-known rule that Christians from various times, time frames throughout church history and various denominations can say amen to, you know, attributes of theology proper, Trinity and incarnation, or it's something less than that. Right. Uh, And, and, you know, in my pilgrimage in the last, especially in the last 10 years, I I told this to somebody recently. I knew Christians outside of, you know, reformed Baptist circles before all this. But since I, I, for me, I had to humble myself and to realize, you know, there are people in other ecclesiastical communions that they they know a lot about certain subjects. I should probably read their books. Even women. Yes, I read women theologians well, too. Be careful uh, when I don't tell John yeah, Piper. Well, when I yeah, well when I doing that, I I became friends with some of these guys, and not just friends on my shelf. Though I'm friends with guys on my shelf right. and women on my shelf, but in person as well mm. at ETS, yeah, uh, online, and and I'm you know some of these guys are not Second London guys. I text them, mm. they text me back. I have chats with them, you know. One of them has met my parents, and he's not even a Baptist, <laughs> you know. But but I but they're brethren, and and I think we need to, to 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 learn from 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 others, and and you know, I don't agree with everything I I read. Obviously, I don't con no, I don't confess Thomas Aquinas. I don't even confess John Owen. Right. Part of me wants to, but but sure. you know, I can't. Uh, I confess to Second London. That's I do because I think it's biblical. I also think on the core doctrines, the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, it's historically orthodox, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm talking about. Oh, now, yeah. you know, historically orthodox core doctrines. They built them different back then. They right. had a different hermeneutic, and they built their doctrine, doctrinal construct. They, they constructed Christian doctrine differently.
0: So to demonstrate that we're not just straining at gnats here, right? That the this we're, this is not some you know, ir- irrelevant, s- scholastic, you know, put that in scare quotes, um, argument um, about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen or whatever. We're, we're we're talking about- Which
2: is an important, that is an important question, by the way. But anyway,
0: go. Yeah, but, you know, people look at that and they think like, oh, you know, and they kind of dismiss these things as if they're merely academic. These are not academic issues in, in a sense that they're divorced from the, the life of faith for everyday christians so what what are uh, one or two like important errors that you see being embraced as people are approaching uh you know theism and theology proper like w- what is the way that this is working itself out in a in a dangerous fashion a specific doctrine
2: okay uh let me preface this with this when we talk about doctrines uh, we're not talking about dudes, so there's a yes. distinction between doctrines Thank and you. dudes. Yes. Proposals and persons. Yes. Ideas and individuals. Good. Okay? Good word. So I, I can dis I can disagree with a brother or mm. sister, and still be friends. Yeah. Like, like I disagree with you on something that oh, we both sure. talked yeah. about before, but yeah. I think you're my friend. We're we, just wrong.
0: We're well, we're we're the we're in the, <laughs> the short guy club. We got to be friends. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I've so, never understood uh, that. Yeah, I, I'm it, friends it, with. Listen, I'm friends with atheists. I'm. Friend, I, I could be friends with all kinds of people. And then in the church, of course, then you have real friendship of people that I disagree with, um, and we debate and discuss and laugh and eat and drink and it's it's okay. So I I think that's a good word. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So to give a contemporary example, um, and have you read? this sounds terrible have you read my Trinity and creation
0: no not yet yeah, but it it will be read soon
2: okay this this, this interview is over oh,
0: I blew it I blew it I should have lied
2: yeah um,
0: it was, was wonderful Warren, I read it, Warren, it it was wonderful
2: are you reading Warren Wiersley still or what
0: <laughs> uh, I've read I he have courageous. read I did read a no I've never read his commentaries uh, Steve McCoy yeah. though, uh, does I, so, I, so I have read good. one of his books A contemporary
2: issue and a hot potato would be uh, some of the ways that both John Frame and Scott Oliphant have stated themselves with reference to um, divine immutability, Mm -hmm. um, divine revelation, um, divine condescension, uh, God relating himself to creation, you know, Dr. Oliphant had had the motif. Now he is uh, publicly on, on on a website, I think, two different times at Westminster Seminary, uh, said he is, he is no longer holding teaching this view. Okay. Okay. Um, so so we got to give him credit for that. That's great. Don't no longer teaches it. And uh, so now that I'm interacting with it, I'm interacting with old arguments. As far as I know, we're going to take his word for it. Old arguments, but those arguments were in print in several of his books and and did affect you know, my, my communion of churches, and so did some of the statements by D- John Frame. But Dr. Oliphant would say things like this. God, in order to re- create and relate to creatures, God assumed uh, attributes. Uh, I think he might even use the word perfections. Uh, characteristics that he did not have and would not have without creation mm. in order to relate to it. Okay. So the, the, you know, co- the assumption of covenantal properties. Kind yeah. Of thing, uh, r- relational. And now that just does not work with the Westminster confession of faith. Right. And and it's theology. The
0: Presbyterian Westminster. So that that's very relevant here.
2: Yeah. It's very relevant because, you know, Dr. Oliphant, very well-known, a scholar he writes books they get published by various authors and then you know our guys read them
0: in simple terms and though what's the, what's the problem with that like how, like what what's wrong with saying like well yeah god had to become what he wasn't in a sense
2: okay well yeah because it sounds like the incarnation okay but he's not talking about right. the incarnation that's right he's talking about in order for the transcendent god mm-hmm. to be imminent and and really communicate with us he has to assume things that he takes to himself that aren't a part of his essential being. Okay, mm-hmm. so he he doesn't want to call them essentially God. But the question is, uh, are they God or not God? You know, that's the James Dolezal pushback on mm-hmm. it originally several years ago on on Reformation 21. Are they God or creature? Uh, if they're creature, then they're not God. And just you mean God as God is eternally. Can't create and communicate with creatures unless he adds a you know some sort of theistic addition he assumes something more than what he was, and that's what he reveals he reveals himself to us through those created mediums uh, you know you have to ask yourself what's being revealed to us? Mm-hmm. the eternal God or the eternal God through these that he takes upon himself. John Frame had some similar statements. Um, you know, God has two existences, mm-hmm. uh, a, an a-temporal, uh, timeless existence, and then a temporal existence. And I don't think it was a slip of the pen either, because if you read that statement in context, right. and I forgot exactly where it is in the book, um, um, it just... You know, it just doesn't make no. Sense.
0: Well, f- Frame, is a, Frame is a Frame is a is a is a very smart guy, brilliant guy. He's a very good writer. Like, yeah, that's he's he is articulating a, a very specific way of conceiving of God. Like, I, yeah, that's not a that's not a oops.
2: Yeah. So, so those are two examples where very well known men and very you know God blessed ministries and very used by the Lord in various uh, spheres. Uh, where where I, I think that they went wrong. You know, Dr. Oliphant has statements in print where he says things like this um, I happen to believe that the doctrine of God needs to be reworked with a more consistent reformational principle behind it, or something like that. It needs to be uh, redone from the bottom up. And one of the reasons he says that is because he believes that that a lot of the reformers, especially the post-Reformation guys, they got anthropomorphisms and anthropopathisms wrong. Mm. Uh, Words used in Scripture that describe God in human form or human passion. Right. Um, uh, uh, And and so he says they got them wrong. And the reason why they got them wrong is because of, because, too heavy dependence on Thomas Aquinas mm. and Thomas Aquinas erred like his father, Augustine. Mm. So it goes all the way back to Augustine, but he puts the fault of the post-Reformation guys more at the feet of, of, of them following Thomas Aquinas on some of these passages. And, and, uh, you know, when I first read that, I thought, what? And then I thought, Oh, well, this makes sense of why he goes the direction he does he he doesn't like the more traditional interpretation of of those anthropopathic and anthropomorphic uh passages and he's got to find fault someplace so instead the guys uncrit- uncritically followed thomas
0: so in, and so instead of um arguing or embracing the idea that scripture uses anthropomorphic language to describe God to us so that we can you know gather a, se- a sense of who he is, what does he do with those anthropomorphic and anthropopathic statements.
2: Yeah, well, he he doesn't deny either uh, of those principles in Scripture, okay? He just thinks that there are some times when when the Christian tradition um, um, didn't allow the Bible to speak more uh, literally or Mm. properly about some of these things predicated Yeah predicated of uh, of God. Now, now here, here's a, somebody told me this about 10 years ago or so. And, and I thought at first I was going, huh? But they, they said, you know, the ontological statements that predicate certain things about God, God is love. Mm -hmm. Um, those should take priority over economic activity texts. Um, and, and at first I was going, what in the world is he getting at? Yeah, that sounds weird. Yeah. Well, the more I read, the more I realized, you know, there's this trinitarian rule called the ronner's rule. You've probably heard of that before. The economic trinity is the imminent trinity, and the imminent trinity is the economic trinity. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that something like that was invented by us. Eighteenth or nineteenth century Lutheran I think uh, could have been a Roman Catholic After, I think it was first a Lutheran, then a Roman Catholic, and then Karl Rahner was a twentieth century Roman Catholic genius brilliant guy, and he he pushed that, but I think what's happened is Protestants have taken that and 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 and, and either consciously or unconsciously gone in directions that just don't don't work um, they 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 want to interpret. the the eternal triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit based on the activities of, let's say, the incarnate Son. Mm -hmm. So the incarnate Son does this, therefore the the pre-incarnate Son does this. The incarnate Son obeys, therefore the pre-incarnate Son obeys. You know, something like that. The more I read, the more I realized, wait a minute, this runner's rule is pretty new. Mm. Uh, How did they do this before? Because you have God in say, God in himself, uh, eternal eternal God and you have God creating and sustaining and working and operating you know economic activity the, the outworking of the decree you had b- those things before Karl Honor came along, how did they deal with it? Well if you go way back to the Patristics, they talked about theologia that is God in himself God just is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally right. And oikonomia, the work of God, creation, Mm -hmm. providence, uh, and the work of grace and consummation. And they they distinguish the two very carefully. God, not God. Yes. God, the works of God. God working, but God's works, God's effects, aren't essentially God. Yes. So I, I think we should go back to the Theologia, of economia thing as well, instead of the Rowner's rule. I think that's another problem in interpretation. We have, you know, we say we have no rules, but the runner's rule is back there in mm-hmm. our brains, and you can you can hear it in contemporary guys. Uh, well, that's the economic Trinity, or that's the imminent tr- Trinity. By the way, imminent Trinity. What does the word imminent mean to you? If your li- wife was sitting right next to you, she'd be pretty imminent, wouldn't she?
0: Yeah, it means generally means close. Yeah, close in close relation. Close, near. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah um uh, which i think lends itself to ambiguity already mm-hmm. you know imminent I, I don't know why he chose that word it, i think it's a bad word but um
0: let me tell i i tell you, you like can, the uh the the ref, you you correct me if i'm wrong because I, I oftentimes am but it seems Boy, do to I know that. it, it <laughs> seems to me you know i can't tell time especially different time zones um yeah so what it, it it seems to me that the people that are today writing the best orthodox arguments for god in the christian tradition right are are reformed baptists i like i, I i'm i've been so edified and encouraged by you know by everything i've read from uh RBAP, right, Reformed Baptist Academic Press and and all of these guys um Dolzell, all these guys on on who is God, what is God, uh divine impassibility in particular. I've, I mean, I I've, I've preached on divine impassibility a number of times here. Uh I've been so greatly encouraged. My faith has been strengthened. My love of God has has increased because of understanding those classic doctrines uh clearly communicated that um you know, understanding God having perfections, not affections, in the same way that we would, uh, or passions. Right. I, I, why are why does it why why am I getting the impression that Baptists are now the people that are holding that line more so even than Presbyterians uh, in terms of what's being published today? Or am I just yeah, wrong?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're a little right. L- let's back up a few years. I remember Carl Truman said this sometime. He said the reformed Baptists are really pulling the line on the doctrine of God for the rest of us. Wow. And when, when we were going through the whole impassibility thing, I got several emails from OPC ministers that said, we're watching because something similar is going to happen with Mm -hmm. us. I think it was just accelerated for the the very small second London confessional Baptist world because we had to deal with doctrine of God stuff. Um, It was accelerated in our tiny uh, communion it's 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 elsewhere as well and listen you know if somebody said what book on the trinity should i read first depending on the person even a churchman and i did this recently i would say scott swain's introduction to the trinity published by Crossway, very accessible um has substance yeah it's not like trite or fluffy it's really good And, and you know if it's new to you, you got to plow through it. But the guy that read it isn't a trained theologian. He's just a church member. He goes to church every Lord's so Day, he hears me say these things, and he loves what he's hearing. And he, we sing hymns that correspond with the doctrine I'm teaching. And he says, Pastor, what should I read? So you know, that's I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend they read, um, uh, you know, Gilles M. M-Marie, an <laughs> introduction to the Catholic doctrine of the Trinity as their first right. dive into Trinity. I would recommend him, uh, and then. So that's why I think Baptist, you know, Sam Renahan, me and uh James Dolzal wasn't a part of the, the you yeah. know, the whole ARCA thing. But he was helping us think through some things and that's why we have published our stuff because we had to follow through a lot of this stuff. But, you know, you, you read our books, who do we quote? We quote Presbyterians more yeah. <laughs> more. And you you know, you got guys outside of the Second London thing, like Lynn Butner's uh, the son who learned obedience—that yep. was a great. That was a great book. And Matthew Barrett, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know what's happening with Matthew Barrett over there is they're getting they're getting graduates that are starting to publish now, and they're they're fine young scholars. And I don't care if they're not forty yet, right? Okay? I care I care what they say. Yeah. Um, um, you know, even Nehemiah Cox died when he was like twenty nine, and he's like one of the patron saints of a particular Baptist. Yeah, yeah. So if we we cast stones on him because of his age, we wouldn't have a confession without him.
0: It's true. And actually a number, I've I've actually pushed back, Um, a friend of mine, Ed Stetzer is actually a friend of mine, and he said something one time about, you know, don't write too young. And it's like, well, we have a lot of examples of men, like Thomas Boston, like a lot of guys wrote really important works, uh, really helpful, practical, or richly theological when they were young. It really depends on the person um, and what they're saying. That's that's what I'm interested in.
2: yeah. Yeah, I, I, my usual counsel for young guys is normally, if you have a, a zeal to write and you're young, um, don't tell anyone, let others tell you number one, number two, wait 20, do 20 years of preaching before you write. That's good. Uh, now, is that true in every case? No. Sam right. Ranahan started writing when he was, I don't know, seven, uh, <laughs> probably it's just, it's just ridiculous. And everyone knows, um, That man is a very gifted man. He can write very, on very heady, Mm. deep doctrines of the Christian faith, and just do an excellent job. And it's worshipful and Mm. and not overly technical. You know, his deity and decree has some tough stuff in it, but his his primer, his God without passions, the primer.
0: It's it's the it's the most accessible thing I've ever read to give to anybody. Yes, it's it's beautiful.
2: That's that's study questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I took about eight or ten people from my church through we that on a Wednesday night. We'd go to a coffee joint and try to you know get other people to listen to us, and and we went through that book, and it was so helpful, so helpful. So just because somebody's in their thirties doesn't mean they they don't have anything to say. However, it is normally yeah. the case, especially in our day, with 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 classical Christian theism, you need some years under your belt before you can you know, like when I wrote Trinity and creation, I, it was first, I worked on that thing for about like five years at least. Mm. I started working on it because I knew I had to give lectures and quite often lectures at our pastor's conference, which is held every November, by the way. Yes. And, like that. Um, and I knew I want to I do, I didn't just want to do better than the beginning on steroids for pastors. Okay. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to study this. So I did, I started working and working, working and, and I had way too much material for the conference. I think I had got four lectures and and you know, it was well received enough that and I'm old enough, now I'm sixty. I know the kind of vibes I, I get back from guys who are my peers that are listening to me lecture. I know I know if it's if they're just being nice or if they're right just really being sincere. And so I came back from that conference going, you know what, I got enough material to make this into a book. So I started working on it. And I send it out to four or five, six guys, you know, and if I name the guys that I send it to, you know, every single name, and they're not all Baptists. I'm thinking about writing on this subject. Here's an abstract or an overview. What do you think? Go for it. So when yeah. they, I get a go for it, I go for it. And, and, and that book, uh, you know, I, I, it took me 50 some years to write it. That's the way I say about my right. book. I was thinking and reading uh, my spare time reading, for about four years, just on Trinity and creation. Yeah. You know, books on that, just immersing myself. And, and you know, I remember sent, sending a chapter out to James, I think it was James Dull, so I'm sure it was. And he said, You don't want to say it this way. Uh, it sounds heretical. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we're no longer friends anymore. I
0: blocked well, yeah, them. But. That's what happens. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, that like that, that's 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 maybe this a, a good way to to sort of wrap this up, which is to like you you've mentioned a few books here. People that want to wade into these theological waters, because like I I I, I agree, uh, there's a whole lot of hot takes out there by people that haven't read, they haven't even read the classics. They haven't they haven't read enough to have any sort of breadth and depth uh, to discuss the matters. They're really talking uh, about these things in a very, with a very small circle of influence around them, usually within their own tribes. So what are some, what are some like essential readings that you would say, here are some things you need to get. I mean, obviously uh, we want to include Trinity and creation on there, but um, so, but you, know, you mentioned Scott Swain as, as a yeah. good introduction well, it, to the Trinity.
2: It, let's just say it, it's, If I'm speaking to regular church members, right? you know, like if somebody, a member of my church and they haven't, and I know them, I know their reading habits, they haven't read, kept up, they're just wanting to get into it. I would say Scott Swain's introduction to the Trinity is good. Simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett as Mm -hmm. well. Pretty long, you know, it has in notes. Yeah. No, what, how did that Um, happen? I don't know, but it's, 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 it's not a Baker academic. It's just regular Baker. So I, I guess they don't do that, but those two books are helpful. And then, you know, like divine simplicity has kind of been a hot potato. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't recommend God without parts. Okay. Okay. If you ever, you ever try to read that thing? It's like, <laughs> what? No. Well, it's James Dolezel's dissertation. Yeah. I would recommend Sim- simply, simply God or God. Is it simply God? Simple God. Peter, he's an Anglican. Peter Sam Sandlin. Uh,
0: I'm gonna look, let me look it up here. Um,
2: okay, I think it's it's an IVP book, very readable. I mean, you know, very readable. Come on, we're talking about God. Yeah. Okay. You got to you got to engage your mind. Read slow. Try to understand things. If you have to, buy a Richard Muller Dictionary of Latin and Greek Theological Terms. Yeah. Uh, and if you're a pastor. Not only do you have should you have that, you should also have Dictionary of Scholastic Philosophy mm. by Bernard Uh W U E L L N E R. Wilner, I don't I don't know how to pronounce his name, but right. the Dictionary of Scholastic Philosophy. If you're a pastor, get those because it'll help you sometimes understand Mueller's dictionary. Even. Right. Um so Fred's, Fred Sanders' book on the mm-hmm. Trinity, you No, know, look, I, I mentioned the Presbyterian, I mentioned an Anglican, <laughs> and now Fred is evangelical free. I think he's classic Arminian dispensational mm. as well. But he's a good friend of mine. We we go back and forth a lot um, in, in a good way. He's actually, we had lunch together with a bunch of guys last year uh, on the first day of our conference. He's going to do it again. Fred rode up on his bike to Sam Renahan's house. It was
0: great. It's so fun.
2: Uh, so so these aren't my tribe, you know, right. little clique kind of guys. These are just Christian scholars who know what they're talking about, you know. Uh, so th- that's, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting to book. You know, A.W. Pink's Attributes of God. Yeah. Aren't there? That's a great place to go. That was probably Dol-
0: that. Pink was might have been the first book I read on the attributes of God back when I was a Bible scholar yeah. student. Not for not even for class. <laughs> they didn't give us that kind of reading generally. <laughs> uh, but it was AW, great.
2: What, what's the A.W. Tozer book on the attributes of God? What's that one called? Quest for God? Or no, no, that's that's a uh, backer. Tozer has one where he affirms divine simplicity in the, in there. He says all all the, all. Um, all of God does all that God does.
0: Well, he's got the <laughs> attributes of God. Um,
2: uh, yeah, I'm not sure. There's the pursuit one. of God. Persu- Maybe it's... A, Maybe. No, it's not the pursuit of God. One, one of those books, anyway. Even, even Or w. the Knowledge Tozer. of the Holy? Not, knowledge mm. of the Holy? Maybe it's that one. I've it's only read like not. three
0: Tozer books, and I, it's been a while.
2: I think it's... And he's a classical Arminian yeah. as well, but on um, some of these things he gets, gets mm-hmm. it right. Fred Sanders has a more popular book on the Trinity... And then he has the Zondervan book uh, on the, the Triune God, I think is what it's called. You know, that's good. That's probably more for pastors. But the other one, I forgot the title of it, by Fred, is more for human. That's helpful. Of course, you know, Sam Renahan's books are really good. Beating Decree is an outstanding book. Trinity and Creation, I don't recommend for everybody. I mean, I have people in my church that have read it, but it wasn't the first book they read. Right. It's the most technical book I've, it's probably the most technical book I'll ever write in my life. Mm but it's 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 not for everyone my my wife has seen the title that's about it
0: (laughs) that's that's oftentimes the case with our wives they're like yeah you you talk to me enough i don't need to read that I, i know i know what you're i know what you're saying um well listen uh richard we we so appreciate you we we love you and your ministry and you know hopefully twitter's wrong hopefully you weren't Saved on the Romans Road, but because of Aquinas, you're taking the road to Rome. Hopefully, you're not going to become a Catholic because you know you like some things that Thomas Aquinas said. Hopefully, that's not I, true.
2: I mean, I own swim trunks, and okay. just until the other day, I had no idea where they were. I did find them, but I, I'm not planning on going to swim. So <laughs> good. I, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I am more con- I'm more. I am more concessionally reformed, according to my, the Second London than I ever have been mm. in my life, and I'm very happy.
0: Well, and honestly, uh, y- your your joy is, uh, is is evident. You are um, a, a pastor, theologian, who is marked by uh, joy and kindness. We appreciate you very much. If people want to uh, harass you or insult you on social media, is there, a, is there a good handle they can use? At, what is your Twitter What's handle? What's your handle? Uh, you know, your name What's on Twitter. What's your name on Twitter?
2: Uh, Rich. Probably Richard Barcellus. I'm not sure. You don't even know. I don't know what
0: those days You are, are. so old. How do you not?
2: <laughs> My daughter probably set it up 10 years ago or something.
0: <laughs> Hang on. I'm going to find it here so we can tell people. Okay. At Richard Barcellus. Nice. Got I- your name in there. At Richard Barcellus. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Very good. Hey, man, thanks for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. We want to have you back on, maybe talk some more about hermeneutics. I know that's a, a passion of yours, and it's something you're really gifted and, and, and uh, qualified to, to talk about. Um, anything we, we can uh, we can plug for you that's coming up or things that, uh, that are exciting?
2: Exciting. Wow.
0: You got a conference um, coming up, building tomorrow's church? Yeah,
2: let's... Oh yeah, building tomorrow's church, that'll be interesting. We got uh that's gonna be in where is it? Mesa, Gilbert, Arizona at, at Grace Covenant Church. And we got uh Matthew Barrett. Mm-hmm. Okay, he'll be there. This is the first time I get to meet Dr. Barrett personally. James Daltow will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh Sam Renahan. And who's this and, little kid?
0: Who's the oh well, Sam, that's the, Sam. The,
2: yeah. The, yeah, the young the young guy <laughs> and then the short guy. That's me. I they they gave me one bone to, you know, they gave me one lecture here, old guy. You get one yeah. lecture. Um, so, so that'll be interesting. Uh, that's that's in uh, June, just in a few weeks away, and I think they're going to have those, if not live streamed, they're oh, at to record them. Um, and then we we actually have a conference in Southern California. It's hosted by the church where Sam Renahan pastors. The first November, first Monday Tuesday, which would be seventh and eighth of November this year the Southern California Reformed Baptist Pastors Conference. We're in chapter eight of the confession this year, and we have James Renahan, Sam Renahan, Chad Vegas, James Dolezal, Rich Barcellus, and Jason Walter. Wow. We usually we usually have one guy, we give one guy uh, the load of the work. He gets four or five lectures. Yeah. So we thought, you know, let's do Christology of Christ the Mediator. Let's spread the love so guys can dig deeper and, and, uh, and our, our conference, our philosophy of our conference is we want no pastor to go away saying, I could have done that. Hmm. Okay? You ever done that? Paid a lot of money for a conference? You go, I could have done that. It's why I
0: don't go to most <laughs> of the sessions when I go to most conferences. I go to hang out <laughs> yes, with people.
2: <laughs> yes, that's what I do too. Yeah. So we try to call men up. We, we want guys to come in for a couple of days and come up here with us. We're going to think with the big dogs. You know, big dogs. The big dogs of the, the history of the church. Yeah. They're going to challenge us. Then we're going to let you down and you go home, you read the relevant literature, you let it percolate into your, into your soul. and It'll work itself mm-hmm. out in your ministry. So, so we're doing that. What else are we doing? What else did I want to plug? I did want to plug the most recent, um, master seminary journal. Yeah. It's on the Trinity. Mm-hmm. It's got some, um, uh, it's got some very important, um, um, articles in there and yeah. book reviews. Put together by a good friend of mine, one of the one of the professors there, Peter Salmon. Um So I wanted to plug that. What else are we? Oh, IRBS. What's that? And if you're looking for it a sounds semi- like a Willis stomach problem. Seminary, International Reformed Baptist. Oh, IRBS. I thought you
0: said IBS because I like that. That's not and uh, nobody that. wants that, but everybody should want IRBS.
2: No. I just I just got finished teaching a three hour course on hermeneutics there, so. Um, we have Excellent. a really fine, fine faculty and a fine student body as well.
0: Yeah, we love IRBS. We love to we love to plug it. With some great seminaries out there, but um, I'm I'm very excited about what's happening uh, with IRBS uh, Theological Seminary. Love that. Well, man, we will uh, we'll have links to everything in the show notes. Uh, we'll let you know when this is dropped, and uh, you can share it with all your friends and your haters uh, on social media. I know you got a few, uh, though you don't deserve them. Um, thanks again, man. Really appreciate it good seeing you.
2: Yeah, thank you, brother. Thanks for having me.
0: The whole time. The whole time that <laughs> we're doing this thing, he's we're FaceTiming, right? Yeah, I'm just recording yeah. the audio, but I got him on FaceTime. Yeah. And, you, and you see like he's in the backyard. It's all like palm trees oh, and nice. whatever. I don't know what it is. Foliage. Yeah. And half the time like we're talking and he's got the he's got the phone on him. I can see him, but half the time it's like just his forehead and I think <laughs> I, at first I thought like, oh, he's just not paying attention. He's talking. But then I think like, he's showing me that hairline of confidence that he has. He's showing me <laughs> that that thick, luscious head of hair. It was just like, it was so distracting. I'm like, bro. That dude's smart, man. Oh, he's wicked smart. So much to learn. Now, listen. Uh, he made a lot of references. All of those links are already created. They are already in the show notes. So, Jimmy, I've already made that. So nothing's You've left. Made that. It's already ready to go. So, as you are listening to this, if you want, check out the show notes. You can uh, you can look at it on your uh, on your Podcatcher, or you can go to the website doctrineanddevotion.com. Go to this episode. All the links are right there, uh, including the conference uh, that he referenced. So. Uh, check that stuff out really cool really exciting um, I'm so thankful that he came on man
1: man that's so nice we one. got
0: some we got some good ones we got, we got, got another interview already recorded that's gonna drop soon mm. uh, and we're doing some more so we would like to know who you Ooh. would like to have us interview? Who would you like us? Now we're just because you say bring them on doesn't mean we're going to bring them on. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, work like yeah it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work. we like to it's, thing. It's Our podcast. That's right. And we like to bring on people that we know yep. and or appreciate. Yep. And can recommend. I'm not yep. interested in bringing on people that we're just going to argue with. Yeah. That's could be fun. It's just mm. not what we do. No. Um, so. So let, let us let, know
1: yeah let us know uh, online on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo mm-hmm. or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion you can also head on over to the website Doctrine dot com there you can contact us you can sign up for this, uh, what is it email blast
0: yeah, yeah, email blast not yeah, really doing it that
1: much yeah but or you can hit up the store JoFoStore.com and grab some gear we got that first part every in Thursday blog post and video content over at the website. And we've got that all access exclusive content. Banter of Truth on Tuesdays, Weekday Wisdom, Monday through Friday. Head on over to DoctrineAndDevotion.com slash all access to sign up today. Later.